from the campuses of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia. This is Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Schock. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Our website is fpcelizabethton.org. Today, Religion for Life is going around the world. We're going to Iraq, and we're going to look at the specific instance of religious conversion in Iraq and how that affects peacebuilding. My guest is Professor Thomas Hill. He is a clinical assistant professor at New York University's Center for Global Affairs. He is a peacebuilding practitioner and researcher with a decade of experience focusing on Iraq. And in partnership with the University of Dahuk, he's directing a two-year project at the Center for Global Affairs entitled Building Capacity of Iraqi Academics in Peacebuilding, Instruction, and Practice. Since 2003, uh, Professor Hill has, been, has made more than 20 visits to Iraq and has overseen design, development, and implementation of a series of interrelated research and educational projects focused on the development of sustainable peace in Iraq. And he is with students in Iraq. They've, uh, this program is being recorded uh, near the end of January, and they have spent three weeks in, at the University of Dahuk in cooperation with the university there in a shared uh, project of peace building. And he is with me via Skype from Dahuk, Iraq. Welcome, Professor Hill. Thank you very much. Uh, great to have a chance to talk to you from so far away. It's been good. We talked about a year ago uh, about your program, and, and at that time uh, you, had, you had made about uh, 20 visits to Iraq with uh, New York University. And, uh, and this one, you tell me, is the first time you've gone with students. Yeah, as you might imagine, um, there's a bit of resistance on the part of universities and university students and the parents of university students um, to having uh, them go to Iraq, uh, given the events of the last decade or so. Um, but thankfully, uh, due to our strong partnership with the University of Dahuk here, um, my colleagues at uh, New York University were um, happy to uh, give the students a chance to come here and do some research and really collaborate with their uh, partners at Dahuk University. It's, it's worth noting uh, that uh, I've been told, and it's very hard to verify this, but we think we're the first group or the first class of American graduate students to come to Iraq to conduct research anywhere in the country uh, since the 1970s. Wow. And this is a cooperative effort. So how many students from New York and how many students then from Iraq are working together on this? So we have nine students with me now from, uh, from New York, from NYU. They're all master's students. And uh, there are actually, uh, there are 10 now working in the effort from the University of Duhuk. We've had uh, one gentleman who wasn't able to participate in the first part of the project that took part in New York, uh, was able to join us here. So he joined one of the, uh, the research teams. So we have an almost equal number. And this program is with uh, New York University. This is the Master of Science in Global Affairs. Can you tell us a little bit about that program? Sure. Um, it's a... Uh, a uh, master's program that prepares uh, young people and some not so young people for careers uh, to really uh, work as global citizens in a, in a wide range of ways. Um, I oversee a concentration in peace building, so we have students who are interested in learning how to um, engage in the world uh, in ways that make it more peaceful rather than less. We also have students who study subjects such as human rights, international development, um, humanitarian assistance, international law, uh, the private sector 
sector and um, all of them uh, come out with the same degree but with you know a little different focus in uh, in the content of the coursework and so the students that are with you are interested in peace building and interested in in the region of Iraq Yes, that's true. Some of them are actually concentrating in peace building um, as their main area of study, and some of them are looking at peace building sort of in um, connection to other fields. So we had one student uh, who's studying human rights and peace building, and so she's looking at the intersection of those two subjects here, um, you know, as they as they relate to uh, to Iraq or the Kurdistan region of Iraq where we are. And we have one student who's interested in sort of the private sector and how the private sector uh, plays a role in in, uh, in peace building. So there's a lot of um, crossover. There's a lot of interconnectedness and a lot of interdisciplinarity, uh, which has been really, really great for our Iraqi colleagues to see, um, because typically the education system here is very siloed. Um, you study one subject basically from the time you leave secondary school until the time you finish your PhD, if you go that far, um, with very little crossover between colleges or subjects. So. Uh, uh, this has actually been a, a really eye-opening experience for them to come into contact with a, a really cross-pollinating program like ours. So this is maybe the first time that many of your students have been to Iraq at all. Um, it's actually the first time for every one of them except for one. I have one master's student who served in the U.S. Army, both in Iraq and Afghanistan, and he's here with the group now working on a really interesting project related to um, reduced water flows in the Tigris River as uh, have been caused by some of the damming upstream in Turkey and how that relates to peaceful relations in some of the areas along the river. Um, and he is a very interesting student. He, uh, he's told me on a number of occasions that he doesn't actually feel so great about his time in the U.S. military. Um, and so he's really thankful to be back here now. Uh, he feels doing something that's really contributing to building up some peaceful capacity in Iraq. Let's take a moment and, and compare those different terms that we use and what they mean, uh, peacekeeping or peacemaking and peace building. We think of the U.S. Army's work might be more of peacekeeping, uh, keeping the peace in terms of conflict for certain interests. But peace building really involves this whole infrastructure, as you were talking about uh, water. Yeah, it, I mean, peace building is really, really a broad um you know, term or field of practice at this point, because and the and the really it's as evidenced by some of the research projects the students are doing here. Um, two of them are working on this water project that I mentioned. There are two who are looking at uh, issues related to women's representation and how that's uh, relating to the social status of women in society. There are uh, a couple who are uh, doing a really challenging project up at the Domiz refugee camp. There are now 60,000 Syrian refugees only about 10 miles outside of the city of Duhuk here. And uh, they're looking at the, the incidences of violence, uh, both direct and structural, uh, in, that, in and around that camp. So you can see that there's a lot of different subjects that are really um, very deeply connected to peace building. Um, but what the important thing to know is, is that uh, in order to build peace, you have to look at all these different issues in a society, whether it's uh, displacement, like those uh, the people are experiencing from Syria, whether it's water shortage, whether it's education, uh, social status for women, and of course, religion. Yeah, and uh, 
Tell us a little bit about uh, about some of these. What about religion? What is uh, some of the what is the research be happening on that on that area? So there are there are um, two projects that students are undertaking now. Each one of these projects, remember, uh, has a, a team member from New York and a team member from Iraq. Um, all of the Iraqis are essentially from this area of Duhuk, which is you know in the far north west corner of Iraq. It's the northernmost part of Iraq. Um, the, uh, it's actually an area directly north of Mosul, and any of your listeners um, who are familiar with the sort of, uh, you know, the sort of the, the biblical history of this area would know that this is the Mosul Plain, where, of course, uh, the Assyrians um, have been living for a very, very long time. Um, so some of the early, earliest practicers, pra- practicers and practitioners of Christianity. Um, there's also an ancient religious group here, the Yazidis, um, who have very different practices um, and beliefs. And they're... they're uh, uh, Temple, their 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 most holy temple, the Lalish Temple, is located here just outside of Duhuk, um, and also, um, of course, the the main religious faith here is, is Muslim, and so you have um, you know the majority of people, maybe 70, 80 percent, are practicing Muslims, and um, and then the two minority religions, and one of the projects the students decided to look at was what happens in terms of people who are. Um, interested in converting their religion here. Now, under Iraqi law, religious conversion is not legal. Um, but what w- they've been finding out is that there are many conversions that are taking place um, between these different faiths. And um, there, uh, of course, the the desire to um, the desire to convert as well as the actual conversion tends to cause a lot of tension in families and communities. So they're looking to see, um, you know, what sort of mechanisms might be available to uh, to reduce uh, those tensions or keep them at a minimum. So religious conversion is illegal in Iraq. Well, is that any direction? So uh, technically, it's uh, illegal under Iraqi law um, in any direction. Um, and then, of course, each of the individual faiths have their own perspective on this. So uh, Yazidis um, don't recognize um, either conversion in or conversion out. Um, one needs to be born a Yazidi. There's no other way to become one. Um, there are uh, there are some interpretations of Islam um, that people say that uh, if you uh, if you are to convert out. Um, that that is uh, uh, punishable perhaps by death. Um, not everybody believes that. Um, and then uh, Christianity here, uh, there don't seem to be any uh, sort of very, very uh, strict rules against conversion. And there seem to be uh, uh, ready, uh, ready acceptance of people, either Yazidis or Muslims who would like to become Christian. And um, I have not heard any stories yet of um, prohibition of, of uh, uh, conversion out. So, so you have a little bit of a different situation with each faith. 
If you're just joining us on Religion for Life, my guest is Professor Thomas Hill. He's a clinical assistant professor uh, at New York University in the peacebuilding program of the Masters of Science of Global Affairs, and he is in Iraq at the University of Dahuk, uh, just finishing up three weeks of research with nine students from New York University, also collaborating with students from the University of Dahuk. Tell me a little bit more about uh, the, the religious question and, and um, thinking in terms of the students, perhaps uh, perhaps their own relationship to religion or none, and how that might play into how they do this research. It's interesting. We have, um, you know, I have to be honest, I, though I've been with these students uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for three weeks, and have taught many of them uh, in several courses before now. Um, with the exception of one or two students, I actually don't know the religious faiths of our students because it's not something that's that's you know discussed um, typically uh, between professors and students unless the subject is religion. Um, now, of course, I, I know that one of our students happens to be Muslim because she mentioned it to me. She's actually from Indonesia, and uh, she was kind of intrigued to interact with this group because of that. Where. Um, uh, let's see, nine of the ten Iraqi students that are working with us are Muslim, and the, the tenth one is Yazidi. Um, and so there's there's certainly just a difference in terms of awareness of religion. Um, you know, again, all of the professors here, they always know their, their students' faiths, and uh, that's for a variety of reasons, one of which is that on national identification cards, which would be, you know, sort of loosely uh, similar to our driver's licenses or passports. And on your identification card, your uh, Iraqi identification card, um, some of the information contained on it is is your religion. They always include your religion on your identification card. And so when we had to uh, spend a morning at the uh, residency office here to, um, you know, just basically get our, uh, our, our visas approved and things like that, um, some of our students were rather taken aback when, you know, some of the first questions they got asked were, what is your religion? What is your mother's name? And are you married? Huh. And uh, th these are normal questions here. Um, but, um, and you know, in the United States, not. Yeah, and that's a big difference in terms of how religion functions in society and for one's identity, which leads to the whole question of religious conversion and the fact that it is illegal. That's, uh, that intrigues me in Iraq. And I so it, do you know the reasoning why that law w would be in place? You know, I don't know. I, I know it uh, has been on the books for quite a long time, um, and I suspect it's, uh, you know, deeply related to the, the, um, uh, the religious character, the Islamic character of Iraq, and um, it's, it's interesting because it's in some ways historically, um, in recent history, uh, Iraq's been one of the most secular countries in the Middle East, and has been very religiously tolerant. Um, so there are there are real differences between what is uh, you know the de jure situation and the de facto situation, um, and that's what some of this research is also turning up. Even though that uh, even though it's illegal to convert, many people do it, and that. Um, you know, certainly in this area, uh, religious pluralism is really practiced. People um, accept uh, quite openly the, you know, Muslims accept Christians and Yazidis and work with them and study with them, and uh, they have friendships across lines. When you get to the level of marriage, not so much. 
um, but there's certainly not a, uh, a strict, you know, societal division between the groups. Um, it, but, you know, and this speaks a little bit to the other project we have on uh, religion, which is related to the sort of politics of religion. Mm-hmm. Um, both the Iraqi National Parliament and the Kurdistan Regional Parliament um, have reserved seats for religious minorities. Um, and that's, you know, that's something that's uh, would seem unusual, again, to people from the United States. But, um, you know, as I understand it, that those uh, systems were adopted because um, many, many Iraqi people feel that it's important to make sure that the, uh, the religious minorities who are here um, and have been here for a long time are continue to have representation at a public voice, a voice in government. So Yazidis, um, Christians, both Chaldeans and Assyrians also have reserved seats in those governmental bodies. Okay, so and you I'm have gonna... one of the students so with you uh, who is working on this question of, of religious conversion. I do. Um, I have Barbara Augustine here. She's been a student of mine back in New York uh, at NYU and has been participating in the uh, the course that we call the Joint Research Seminar in Peacebuilding. So Barb and her uh, colleagues are looking at what might be the impacts on peacefulness in these communities um, around questions of religious conversion. Welcome, Barbara, to Religion for Life. Hello, I'm glad to be here. Thanks. All right. So tell me uh, what uh, what you're working on and what is uh, your interest there? Exactly. So I'm looking at the uh, impact or effect of religious conversion on the peacefulness in Kurdistan, and I'm looking specifically at the Duhok area or city. So what happens when uh, different groups convert one another? Does that uh, Does that make for more peace or less peace? Well, that's what we're trying to figure out. We're trying to understand how this changes uh, social structure, whether or not it uh, leads to more violence or um, how that, what the consequences are for family structures and uh, the social consequences or political consequences. And f- f- just kind of looking at the data that we've collected, um, a couple of things happen. So uh, individuals who convert, if they convert to Islam, Things are pretty much okay because um, it seems like uh, those who are Muslim have a more favorable lifestyle here. And this is just what we've heard from individuals that we've interviewed. Um, And if you convert from Islam to Christianity or Yazidism, um, you could be uh, excluded from your family. Sometimes you end up having to like leave the neighborhood or the town that you're living in, and in some cases, your you know the family of those converts end up just you know fleeing the country, um, and that's because they feel like it's a it's disrespectful to the family, or um, their reputation is at stake, um, or it's just. It's just kind of like taboo, essentially. Um, and I've we've talked with a couple of individuals who have converted from um, maybe Christianity into Islam, and their entire family just left, and they haven't heard from anyone from their immediate or extended family for almost 20 years. Um, so it's 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 really interesting to see how it's like people are totally discommunicated and just entirely excluded from from their families and, and society. Have you noticed this increasing, this uh, conversion from one faith to another? Um, that's actually a pretty hard question because 
the one of the thir- one of the religions that we're looking at, Yazidism, was supposedly the one of the first religions in Kurdistan, and they've had like lots of people convert from Yazidism to Islam, um, and in terms of what the amount of individuals converting from Islam to any other religion, that's really hard to find. I've only met one person who has done so, and he's not done so publicly um, because, again, it is illegal and frowned upon. So whether or not it's increasing, I think it's hard to say at this stage. I do think that there is, um, there are individuals who may not necessarily subscribe to the religions that they were born into, and perhaps they... Um, personally are just not following the principles um, of that religion, but not showing it outwardly. So maybe their community or family members are not aware that they are not practicing that religion. And that's kind of like a form of um, not necessarily conversion, but just non-participation, which I also think is pretty important. Um, and then the other thing is, it's, it's, it's because it's illegal, it's hard to get people to come and talk with us and also measure whether or not an increase, you know, so that's, it's been kind of sensitive and, and tricky to, to get at that information. Yeah. Why do you suppose people are, what have they told, uh, told you about why they convert? Is it, is it for religious and social status? Um, I mean, one would think it would be, take quite a bit to convert if it actually uh, made your life harder. Yeah. So, for those who convert to Islam, there's a lot to gain, you know, because the majority mm-hmm. of the um, citizens here are, are Muslims. So that seems to, you know, work fine. But um, doing, you know, going in the other direction, um, you know, you can lose your life. Like that leads to violence in some instances. Um, and I think when we spoke with uh, during our field research, we talked to all levels of society, and so we conducted interviews in villages. We spoke with educated and uneducated individuals in those villages, as well as um, we spoke with individuals at both the state and federal courts, um, judges and, and lawyers and investigators. And, um, and then we also ran um, a focus group at the School of Law just to kind of get a, a, a pers- like get views across the board. And when we spoke, uh, individuals from the focus group at the university, a lot of them said that they didn't even have the option to to choose their religion because they're born into it. And then what reinforces uh, that they stay within that religion is society and their family. And when we pushed and tried to find out, like, if you, if, if you were free to convert, would you? A lot of them said that they would like to have the choice to choose whether or not they want to be Muslim or if they want to be Yazidi without the pressures um, of, of their society. So I, I thought that was pretty interesting. And you worked with uh, students from Iraq. Uh, what was what, what? Did you have a different sort of perspective um, about religion between yourself and the students? I mean, that's kind of a vague question, but how did that play? No, into I think it? it's the right question. Yeah, I think it's the right question. Um, so my, I have, I have two partners, a female and a male, um, and they're both uh, Muslims. And the female seems to be slightly more conservative, a conservative Muslim, while the male is not so much. Um, and I, I believe that I'm a Christian, um, kind of like right in the middle. And so it, it was very interesting to do this research together and to kind of 
push the envelope a little bit and mm-hmm. force him to ask more questions and to even, um, you know, be a little bit more curious about the, the principles and traditions believed in or carrying out in their day-to-day lives and to just kind of just, you know, question why they're doing things that they're doing. And I found that it was helpful for me to learn more about um, Islam and it also served in helping them kind of think about things a little bit more objectively and not filtering um, the research or the data that we were collecting. And so it was really interesting. And I also think that, um, I, and they've both mentioned this to me, if they went to some of the villages, like especially if they went to go and interview uh, individuals in in participants in the Christian villages or the Yazida villages, they might have, have re- the, the, the participants might not have received them uh, as well if they didn't have a foreigner who appeared to be objective. Um, and so I thought that that was kind of interesting as, as if we sort of really needed each other. Um, so, yeah, I thought that working with them and having different religions, I think, really did help. Barbara Augustine, my guest on Religion for Life, along with, along with Professor Thomas Hill of New York University. Uh, they've been participating in a joint research seminar in peace building at the University of Dahuk in Iraq, and they have just finished up their three weeks there and are coming back. Do you hope, uh, Barbara, to go back to Iraq again? I would like to. Um, I was very surprised. It's a really beautiful uh, region and and. And the people are great, and they're surprising, and they challenge, they challenge you and your identity and your um, perception on, on on reality and culture and tradition, and um, it's it's just been a really uh, wonderful experience. And and I would love to come back. I think there's a lot to learn and and, and be a part of here. All right. Well, good luck on your research, and thank you for uh, being with me on Religion for Life. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much, John. It's a pleasure. You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Shuck. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Our website is fpcelizabethton.org. You can find more information about upcoming programs, including links to podcasts, at religionforlife.com. Follow Religion for Life on Facebook, iTunes, and Twitter. Religion for Life is co-produced by WETS-FM in Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC-FM in Emory, Virginia. This is Michael Franti, Bomb the World. Be well.